0: Well, most of you probably know that Stonewall Jackson is one of my heroes in the faith. Now, most people who admire him do so because of his military genius, which is certainly admirable enough in its own right, but that's not why he's a hero for me. As I said, he's a hero for me in the faith. Last week, we spoke of the theme of Christian contentment based on our sermon from Philippians 4. And and we defined contentment this way, again, based on what Paul said. um, Our definition was a glad and grateful submission to God's wise providence, regardless of season or circumstance. The reason I admire Jackson is because, next to the Apostle Paul himself, he, in my experience, exhibits that in his life more than anyone I ever encountered. When you read the man's letters, In them you find someone whose belief in the providence of God ran all the way down into the marrow of his bones. He was utterly, totally, thoroughly convinced of the providence of God over all things. That God was God, and God was almighty, and God was sovereign, and he alone directed all things in accordance with his good pleasure for his glory for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. This was his creed writ in iron, whether grief or joy, whether victory and in defeat. An instance, he wrote to his wife following a remarkable victory, my precious darling, an ever kind providence, which was one of his favorite uh, phrases, an ever kind providence, an ever kind providence blessed us with success at Fort Royal on Friday. Another letter, speaking of not war, but of his health, he said, During the past week, I have not been well, and I've suffered from fever and debility, but through the blessing of a everkind providence. I'm feeling better today. When he wrote about his defeats, it was the exact same message. The providence of God saw fit to thwart his attempts, and it could be even because of sin in his battalion, he would think. His belief in God's providence was total. This didn't make him emotionless or passionless, he was a very passionate man, but beneath all of it was a total submission to the kind providence of God over all things, which means he was a man at peace, finally, and we even see this on his deathbed. This is recorded from the masterful biography from S.C. Gwynn, a glimpse into his final moments. His wife said to him, do you know that the doctors say you must very soon be in heaven, and he's 39, by the way, asked Anna. She repeated those words several times because he made no response initially. Then she said, do you not feel willing to acquiesce in God's allotment if he wills you to go today? I prefer it, he said in a weak voice. And then louder, I prefer it. Well, before this day closes, you will be with the blessed Savior in glory, said Anna. And then later in that day, it was said that, for someone who was with him, a smile of ineffable sweetness, came across his face and then he said his final words let us cross over the river now and rest beneath the shade of the tree and then he breathed his last there is simply no greater source of comfort in life or in death for those who are in Christ than a deep settled immovable trust in the providence of God over all things knowing that ultimately every providence will prove to be a kind providence for those who are in Christ, that God is good and he can be trusted. Well, as we continue looking at the verses that we were in last week, namely Philippians ten, excuse me, Philippians 4, 10 through 13, which you can start going there now. I'll read that in a moment. This is the big idea that Paul is laboring to express to the church, that the way we remain sturdy and rooted and content no matter what comes, is by trusting in the wisdom of God. The wisdom when it is obvious, and the wisdom when it is, as the scriptures would say, a, a hidden wisdom. It's all part of God teaching us what Paul called the secret. The secret. So I'll read again the text before we push on out. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10, the apostle writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you just had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Don't mishear me, Philippians. Because I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Abundance in need. Indeed, I can do all this through the Lord who strengthens me. Now, where we left off last week after working the text was the question, how does Christ strengthen us practically? What does it look like in the moment of need, the moment of weakness, the moment of suffering to have the strength of the Lord channeled to you in that moment where you could then say, I am now being strengthened by the Lord. What does that look like? Because we are Christians, which means we don't simply believe in the power of positive thinking in a vague sense. We aren't a people who just look for emotional spikes through happy thoughts when life is hard. We are a people who look to the living God to channel his strength into us. This is what Paul was talking about. This is what he experienced. This was the secret that he's trying to let the Philippians in on. I experienced the strength of Christ in my darkest and deepest moments. So I'm asking, what does that look like? And I want us to consider in our time five ways, according to the scriptures, That the Lord channels his strength into those who are his. Five ways that the Lord strengthens us. And today is going to be um, a lot of Bible, which is probably good for a sermon, I suppose, but we'll be all over the place a little bit. So one way to take notes is to write down the points and then you can put some of the scripture addresses if you want to review them throughout the week. Okay. Number one. The Lord strengthens us. The Lord channels his strength into us through his immediate presence. Through his immediate presence. And now out of all the points that I'll make today, this is the one that contextually Paul is most specifically referring to. Jesus Christ ministered to him directly through the Spirit's. The Spirit of Christ, or the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of the living God, whatever biblical term you want to use, to be a Christian, now listen to this, to be a Christian is to have the Spirit of the living God, the third person of the Trinity dwelling in your body. This must never become ordinary to us. This is better than any superpower that all the Marvel characters have combined. The same spirit that hovered over the waters at creation dwells in you. The same spirit that inspired the scriptures. The same spirit that descended on Pentecost in flames of fire. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. So that's a help. Right? But we need to be reminded, hence Romans eight eleven. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit of God dwells in you, Christian, assuming you have trusted in Jesus Christ. And he is all-powerful, and he can do whatever he wants at any moment, including, for him, the very easy task of strengthening you in your time. Of need. Christ gave him some names, such as the helper and the comforter. So he's saying, when you think of my spirit, think in these terms He's here to comfort you, He loves to help you. Paul believed that. Paul experienced that in the vice grip of great suffering. The question is do we believe that? And that's not an insignificant question, because the primary means of accessing that power, biblically speaking, of stirring those strengthening waters is by calling upon him by faith. That is to say, through prayer, for asking by faith, believing he can do it, help me right now. I need your help. In Ephesians 3, we get one of the most beautiful New Testament prayers and, and listen to one of the things that Paul is praying for the Ephesians. This is chapter three, verse 16. He asks that according to the riches of his glory, that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So when he's telling them, you wanna know how I pray for you, Ephesians? Ephesians? I pray that, that that God would, with his immeasurable riches, all the power that he would strengthen you in your inner being. The Lord can, the Lord does, the Lord loves to strengthen us by his immediate presence. That's sometimes why he allows us to suffer. So we'll call out to him because we're so forgetful in our comfort and in our wealth. He wants us to know this. That's why he put it in his word, and that's, that's why he gave us his spirits. So, quickly, four examples from scripture where we see this happening, where we see someone being strengthened specifically in real time by the Lord through prayer. First, in Paul, we'll look at Paul, Peter, Jesus, and Daniel. Paul, we saw last week, with his thorn, three times he pleaded that it would be removed and the Lord said, I'll do one better. I'll channel my strengthening grace to you so that rather than taking the thorn from you, I will make you stronger than any thorn that could come ever. You see you, you see the wisdom of God? Rather than just getting you out of that, I'm going to do something to you so that no matter what comes, you can say, I'm okay. I, I learned that secret. If God would have just taken the thorn away, Paul wouldn't have learned the secrets. 2 Timothy 4.17, at my first defense, and this is the very end of his last letter, he's he's right on death's door, he says, at my first defense, for his life, nobody stood by me, all deserted me, may it not be charged against them, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. 2 Timothy 4:17 Or consider Peter in what is truly one of the most fascinating passages of scripture this is Luke 22:31 through 32 This is Jesus speaking to Peter right before he predicts Peter's betrayal He says Simon Simon behold Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you turn, go and strengthen your brothers then. Much we could unpack here, but suffice it to say, Peter in his darkest moment would have strengthening grace channeled to him by the prayers of Christ so that he could not just be strengthened but strengthen others. And we know from Hebrews 7.25 that Jesus Christ now always lives to make intercession for us. And so Jesus Christ didn't just pray for Peter, but he prays for us. He, He has prayed for us. He is praying for us. He will pray for us. Jesus Christ always lives to do that. Oh, what strength would come if we beheld this reality in our mind's eye in the moment of need, that Christ is praying for us. Now, in the next two, namely in Jesus and Daniel, we're going to see something a little different, namely God administering his strength through angels, which which he certainly does. Even Hebrews says rhetorically, are angels not ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. And so angels is a mean that God uses to strengthen his people. We see this in Gethsemane, later in Luke 22. It says, and Jesus withdrew from Peter, James, and John about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup, or remove this thorn, from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. So again, we see this pattern of prayer being a means of God channeling strength even to the Lord Jesus in his flesh, in his moment of need. And then finally, let's consider Daniel for a moment, specifically Daniel chapter 10. In this chapter, we find Daniel receiving a vision after praying and fasting for his people. And a heavenly figure comes to him, And it says he he placed his hand upon him. And then verse 12 of Daniel 10, he said, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come to you because of your words. Then verse 19, he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And Daniel says, As he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And I said, Let my Lord continue to speak, for I have been strengthened by him. Now there is some debate as to whether this is a pre-incarnation appearance of Christ or an angel, but for us the main point is crystal clear. Daniel was heard because of his humble prayers to God. It says, Specifically, the moment you started speaking, because of your humble posture, we all heard you in heaven, and I was sent by God. And He even follows it up because of everything you said up there. That's amazing. Weak Christian, have you need of strength? Call upon the Lord. Anxious Christian, have you need of peace? Call upon the Lord. Tempted Christian, have you need of escape? Call upon the Lord. Psalm five four. seek the Lord and his strength. Seek it continually. The Lord strengthens us through his immediate presence when we ask. Number two, the Lord strengthens us through his word. The Lord strengthens us through his word. And I mean here very practically through reading the scriptures through meditating on the scriptures. A Christian who does not read the scriptures daily will be an anemic Christian. A Christian who does not read the word daily should expect to often feel very unstable because for us, the word of God is sustenance. The word of God is spiritual protein for us. It is a source of strength. Children and teenagers read the Bible Every day. Get a Bible reading plan. Read the Bible every day. The Lord strengthens us. And not in like a magical, mystical way. Like there's some radiating force that if you get close, the book itself will through osmosis give you strength. That's not what we're talking about. Rather in two very practical ways. The word strengthens us through the gospel and through the law. It strengthens us first through the gospel because whenever we open the Bible, we hear again the proclamation from heaven that in Christ, God's final word over you is grace and peace and your eternity is totally secure. That's, that's, that's the entire story of the gospel. And we get that by, by reading. We must never grow accustomed to to the gospel, we need to intake the gospel every day. And the Lord also strengthens us in the word through his law, very practically, by showing us how we are to live a life pleasing to God. The law of God stands as the objective standard that we are to submit to, freeing us from the tyranny of constructing our own reality which we are a world tyrannized by that, his word orients us back to true reality. As Francis Schaeffer would say, it is true truth. It is actual truth. It is a word from the creator about the truth of his creation, blowing away the subjective and toxic smog that covers our land. And his law is actually energizing, and it's orienting, and it's instructive, and it's, it's strengthening. Psalm 119, David expresses this sentiment saying, My soul melts away for sorrow, so strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways from me and graciously teach me your law. Especially in our day of constant conflicting narratives of moral insanity, where the highest courts in the land can't even say what a woman is it is bewildering to live in topsy-turvy land without an objective rock to stand upon. But in the law of God, we find God wrought granite of objective reality, of truth and false, of holiness and sinfulness, of judgment and grace. The law of God is great grace in a world gone mad. Don't, don't ever fall into the false dichotomy of gospel and law, as in good and bad. The law is also grace, of course not to save, but to become holy, to live in reality in the world God created. But this, and this is an important point, we're, we're only strengthened by the law, by obeying it, not just affirming it. This is what I mean. A common trap that even the most orthodox, Bible-believing Christians can fall into is checking the affirmation box on everything the scriptures say, but not actually growing in obedience to what they say. For instance, some of us men are going through a study on the biblical doctrine of covenant headship in the home, and it's been helpful and illuminating. And so it's, it's one thing to get your theology right there, which is essential, to, to say, yes, okay, I get it. God has given me the responsibility to leave my home. I'm called to be the vision caster, to oversee the discipling of the kids. I get it. If there's any conflict in the home, even if it's not because of me, it's my responsibility to restore fellowship biblically. I understand that. One thing to affirm that, which is great, but affirmation is not obedience. Obedience is obedience. And the Lord strengthens us when we walk in obedience to what we are learning, not just affirming. Does that make sense? So we obey God and his face shines upon us. We feel the dignity of that and the blessing of God upon our obedience. And the same could be said for the women in the women's study. You can have all the great insights and you can even come to a better understanding of God's call for wives or women to be helpers, to come into biblical submission to your husbands, to hold them in honor and respect, to understand the way that inevitably the feministic air of our time has impacted us and to see things clear. It's one thing to affirm that. It's another thing to obey it. This is when God's strengthening grace is channeled. Not just glad affirmation, but glad obedience to every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So may we be doers of the word and not just hearers. And be quick repenters when we've missed the mark. And this brings us to a third way the Lord strengthens. Namely, the Lord strengthens us through his forgiveness. The Lord strengthens us through his forgiveness. What is true is unconfessed and presumptuous sin bogs us down. Unconfessed sin depletes our physical strength. The spiritual burden of carrying sin really does have an actual physical impact. It causes a low hum of discontentment, of lethargy, as Jesus said to Saul. It is hard to kick against the goads. But in God's grace, the moment we humble ourselves and confess our sins, He lifts the burden from us, giving us renewed physical strength. And Psalm 32 is a wonderful picture of this. Psalm 32, David writes, after a horrible, horrible sin, murder and adultery, he says, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not now count against them, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, namely, didn't ask for forgiveness, didn't repent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. So he's not going to let him be okay with that. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer, and then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions now to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And the psalm ends in free and rejoicing, and this is why the confession of sin is such an important part of our liturgy, and why I leave some space during it, because the The healthiest Christians are those who confess every day, but this is a chance for us as a community to deal with anything that has been unconfessed. It's not just something to add to the bulletin. It's our corporate opportunity to, as a people, experience Psalm 32, the lifting of any burdens that we brought in here, the throwing away as far as the East is from the West, as the Psalm said, And this is why we move from kneeling to standing boldly after confession. It's a physical picture of the spiritual reality. We have humbled ourselves, and now we're free to stand. So would we be a strength in people? Let us deal seriously with God and with each other through frequent confession. Christ already paid for our sins. Christ already took the judgment for them. So let's tap into the power of the cross time and time again, rather than doubling down on sin or hiding it or justifying it. All that comes from pride. But pride is an anvil on our back. And pride bends us down. But when we humble ourselves, God lifts us up. When we confess our sins, Christ himself takes the anvil and throws it, never to be spoken of again. The Lord strengthens us through his presence, through his word, through his forgiveness. And number four, the Lord strengthens us through Christ's body, the church. He strengthens us through Christ's body, the church. The church is the body of Christ hear that again the church is the body of Jesus Christ in this world and it is a vital way understandably that that Christ channels his strength through us do, do you realize that Jesus Christ means to channel strengthening grace through you to somebody else i mean that's an amazing responsibility, privilege, like so much of what we need to do as Christians is, is wake up to the things that we already know. You are the body of Christ and he pours grace out through you. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 14.19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding edifying each other, building each other up. Again, think of Jesus' words to Peter. Strengthen your brothers. Jesus Christ uses us to strengthen each other, but it doesn't just happen through three-second greetings on Sundays. This happens as we actually go deeper in fellowship, as we cultivate relationships of trust and honesty, relationships that exhibit the strengthening grace of godly comfort and godly admonishment. Someone can't bear a burden that you haven't shared with anybody. A brother can't give godly counsel to a situation he doesn't know anything about. A sister cannot speak truth into lies if you don't share the lie that you're always tempted to believe. I love how Bonhoeffer says it in Life Together, a great little book. He says, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker often than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's word is sure. Even Jesus Christ brought his three closest in during his time of weakness for prayer and for support. So Christian, would you be strengthened by the Lord and be connected to the body of Christ? Specifically, have at least two or three brothers or sisters who love you, who really know you, and will be encouraging you on in maturity to Christ. Finally, the Lord strengthens us through Christ's body the sacraments he strengthens us through christ's body the sacraments and in conclusion now each week when we come to the table together which we will do in just a moment we are coming to receive renewed strength from jesus christ we're not simply doing a religious ritual we are feeding ourselves on the bread of life jesus christ And when we come forward in that singular moment, all the ways that our dear Lord strengthens us that we've looked at today come together in that one moment. We have his spiritual presence in the elements, which is grace when we receive it by faith. Real, actual grace happens when we receive that by faith. We have his word spoken over us as we hear him proclaim the gospel of peace to us again. And we have his forgiveness as we contemplate the broken body and the poured out blood. And we come together as the body of Christ, as an act of holy solidarity, reminding us that we are all together, one in Christ. And this is why, friends, we come to the table not with a posture of solemn introspection. We've already confessed our sins, but rather with radiant joy. Because when we come, we are not looking at ourselves at all. We come looking at Jesus Christ. That's what we do. The scriptures say, all who look upon the Lord shall be radiant. So we come forth radiantly because we're looking at Jesus Christ and the body of Christ. What theologians call the totus Christus, all of Christ. Christ beckons us in that moment, arms wide open, eyes full of love and grace, to come and be strengthened again, come and feed again, come and learn again the secret. The secret of facing plenty and hunger. The secret of being content in abundance and need. Namely, the secret of doing all of these things because we are in Christ who strengthens us. And as the Father said, or as Paul said, If God did not withhold his own son for us, how will he not through him give us all things? All things are yours, but God actually means to mature you in real time as well. And so we're on a journey, we're on a pilgrimage to glory, and we are in it together, and that is comforting. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Lord and our God, we are amazed at all of these things, and we confess that um, in the flesh, we, we cannot comprehend them. And so Holy Spirit, I would pray now that the very word that you inspired and that has been scattered, you would set on fire in our hearts. And we would be a people all struck at the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ. That we would be a people who in a world that is so confused and so fragmented and so scattered, who are on purpose, putting roots down together feeling the comfort of this camaraderie. And Father, we would ask that you would make your face shine upon us, that we really would be a city on a hill, glorifying Christ, bidding others come get caught up in the kingdom of God to so do it now for your glory in Christ's name.